Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. All right, so today's episode is going to be the second half of the Road to Revolution. When we recorded this episode, we went a little bit longer than we were expecting. And so we ended up splitting it into two episodes. Um, So this episode is going to be the politics continued. We're starting with the Boston Massacre and continuing on um, through the remainder of the Road to Revolution era. So thanks again for listening and hope you enjoy. Boston Massacre is by far the one that gets the kids, I think, fired up the most, mm-hmm. right? I, I always saw it as being one that they, you can have them tied in knots if you ask the right questions, and they don't like that, and uh, that, maybe that's just me being the cruel teacher, but I loved tying them in knots mentally. You know, mm-hmm. how do you, you have John Adams defending these guys who did shoot colonists. I mean, there's no doubt about that. They did shoot colonists, but he defends them. Right. And then you ask him, well, what is John Adams? And they automatically call him a loyalist. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about, well, he's going to be the second president of the United States and he is going to be a... I mean, uh, he's the one who... He's the Declaration of Independence. He's the one who defends the Declaration of Independence at the first, at the Second Continental Congress. Well, he's the one who pushes for it. I mean, he is the... He and Franklin joined together very quickly and pushed for independence when it may not have been a on the table at the time. Well, let's not give him all the credit because Jefferson did write it. Well, I mean, he copied Locke, but we'll get into that <laughs> later on. But um, I, I, I like this idea of them seeing the perspective and the idea of people get fair trials. Yep. And that means everybody. And, and what does this look like in America? What has it looked like in the past? And um you can go down a whole rabbit hole with that with the kids. Um, and they sure. struggle with that, the they idea. Do. And I think we everybody struggles with the idea that, you know, somebody we know that is guilty. Can get off. Get and Deserves fairness. Deserved fairness. And deserved probably not to go to jail for what they did. Yeah. Well, and the, uh, the thing I love about the Boston Massacre is this is kind of the turning point for my kids where they see the light from Great Britain's side because they they realize for the first time that some of the facts of what's going on are being manipulated right. by the founding fathers to push their political agenda. And we've talked about this before. Not that that's wrong for them to do that, but just that I want kids to be aware that it's being done. It's being done, yeah. And so that's – I'm assuming that kind of comes with the Paul Revere engraving of yes. the Boston Massacre. Yes. Which is a great – activity with the kids to do they always love the little dog in the bottom left hand corner i don't know how that's a thing um some things when looking at that 
that engraving. Um, you can always do a comparison of that engraving to another painting that might show events. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done it where I've had the, the visual up there and I've had them quarter their paper. Mm-hmm. And in the top left-hand corner, they wrote down all the, um, the nouns. Oh, and then on the, the right verbs. side, it's uh, nouns, verbs, adverbs, and um, uh, adjectives. Okay. And without me giving any direction, I have them write the world's longest run-on sentence using those terms. Mm-hmm. And what was really impressive was they taught themselves the whole lesson. That's awesome. And I was kind of shocked. Like, I I, I didn't know where it was going to go. And I think that's something that, as teaching we do, sometimes you make a lesson, you're like, I have no clue where this Mm -hmm. is going to go, especially if you give the kids control of that. Yeah. You have to be comfortable with giving that kind of freedom, and you have to be able to think on your feet to do that. Um, I would never have done that in my first few years teaching. But anyway, um, do you have anything you do with – the engraving. We do with the engraving. It's part of a historical inquiry that right. I think one of the instructional coaches made several years ago, Lauren. Probably Lauren Vereen. Yes. She made it. It's phenomenal. We do it every year. And I basically tell the kids, you're going to be a lawyer. You got to look at this evidence and you have to defend your client. And I assign them clients and they hate the fact that they get assigned. But then at the end of class, they realize it really didn't matter right. whose side you were on. The point was to give them a fair trial, which I then connect back to John Adams. What's and the question in that historical inquiry? Do you know? The question is, were they guilt? I mean, was the Boston Massacre actually massacre. a massacre? Right. We focus in on that word because the colonists picked that word on purpose. It right. wasn't an accident. Nothing in life is an accident. It's done. Well, let, that, let me take that back. Some <laughs> things are accidents. But nothing is done without purpose in this particular era. And the, those words were chosen very... Inflammatory. Yeah. And they're posted on everything, on every newspaper. They're the title of all the gazettes. And I just feel like the kids really need to understand that this is inflammatory. And what is so important is they're going into a day and age where every new media article is all about how many clicks they get. Mm-hmm. And it's all inflammatory. And now that there's never any merit to it, maybe it was a massacre. But that's for them to decide. Right. Not for the people who are creating the propaganda to decide. And the other thing that you kind of wrote down here in the show notes is talk about John Adams and the idea of civic virtue. Mm -hmm. What I do is I put the word civic virtue up on the board and I have kids on a sticky note list things that they believe are attributes of someone who shows civic virtue. Right. And so then we make this huge list and then we decide what did John Adams show civic virtue by defending the colonists. There's also a really great um, video clip on YouTube from the Adams off of HBO. Yeah. Is it the HBO series? It's the HBO series and they show the 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 really intimate nature of the 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 courtroom and how close these people were to the 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 defendants and to the um witnesses mm-hmm. and and it shows it's terrifying. It shows too like the fear on the soldiers' faces, like the scene yeah. where Adams goes to meet them and they're just being held in like this public open jail that's yeah. got like just four walls, and it's open to the freezing it's cold. Open air, yeah. yeah, and he goes and meets them, and they just have this look on their face of like it shows that they're real human beings. Right, and that's my biggest struggle sometimes with this unit is we like to pose the great Americans versus the evil British. Right, and I that something about that just does not sit right with me because it's just I don't feel like it's a fair way to look at it. I don't think it's an accurate way to look no. at it. I think it's something that we've seen and. Um, it's hard to do with this one, but, you know, you see numerous times like Vietnam vets going back to Vietnam and talking with 
members of the NBA and the, and, and the uh, Viet Cong. And now they're just a bunch of old men who sit around and talk about their experiences. And yeah. they're, they're like, they're, they're friends. Yeah. And so I think, uh, and, and especially in today's age when everything is so confrontational, and I, and I liked your idea about that inflammatory language of let the let does this portray accurately what happened right and what and was it done purposeful and why was it done and I think that's something we can all agree on you know left center and right um, well I don't know if there's anything that left center and right all agree on but right. hopefully that would be one <laughs> that they could agree on but I think too with this particular lesson is this is the time where you can see that. Facts are being construed mm-hmm. in the American Revolution. And maybe, maybe Britain isn't as evil as we are, quote unquote, making them out to be. Right. And so that kind of goes into one of the instructional things we talked about. I've got into the past few years looking at what are called prediction notes or um, you have the idea. What you do is you have a slideshow prepared and I'm not a big PowerPoint person. And they look at different things from different point of view. So maybe the first one is your parliament and you are in debt from the French and Indian War that paid that helped the colonists um, economically. Okay. And then you give them the next slide has three choices as your parliament. Which would you choose? And it, it doesn't really matter what they choose as long as they can defend it and argue with it. And, and, and you give them time to talk, which I think is really important. So kind of like response groups response groups okay. maybe um and then but with a point of view added in with the point of view and then they're you're giving them three choices because right. in the past i think i've asked questions like what would you do if you're a parliament and the kids just don't have the ability to form those abstract ideas sometimes right. yeah and so if you give them three scenarios that the parliament could choose uh and, and try to make them realistic mm-hmm. as much as possible and then you show them what the real answer is mm-hmm. and then they can take notes real quickly over that they're learning from wrong answers. Mm-hmm. They're engaged. We add a point value to it. If they get it correctly, they get 10 points, which is completely arbitrary yeah. and means nothing. Always, though. You got to go with it. But the competition part of it Love alone. It. Yeah. And so I think you can add perspectives there. So you can do it from the American perspective and the British perspective and the King's perspective and different people's point of view mm-hmm. and give them kind of a, a better broad, better picture, I guess, of the things, the factors that are going on mm-hmm. and um, they love them and it's a really fun way to teach and you get them talking and, and that's the good thing. They're not just copying out of a book. Yes, they are eventually copying off the, the, the summary from the PowerPoint, which is fine because they're not just copying, they're processing. Right. So through the Townsend Acts, we get to the T Act because we go through boycott and all that kind of stuff. Right. And the T Act really isn't a tax on tea per se, as much as it is a monopoly. Um, the British East India Company is struggling at that time, and Parliament gives them a monopoly on selling tea to the colonies, which really gets into the pocketbooks of the smugglers. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who get most upset because they had been illegally importing tea. Um, and I guess one thing we did not talk about with privacy was the writs of assistance, the idea mm-hmm. that the... Um, Those aren't in the teaks anymore. I know they're not in the teaks anymore, but I think that they... They do help us understand some stuff. And especially when we're getting to the Fourth Amendment. Yes. Um, I, I, I don't even know why they took those out. And I guess I understand why they took them out. But I think if you're looking at it from connecting things in the future, 
maybe you don't assess the, the writs of assistance, but I think you want to use it because later on it's going to make the grievances make sense. It's mm-hmm. going to make the Fourth Amendment make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that we've always – I grew up thinking the Tea Act was actually a tax on tea. Um, not a huge I don't issue. think there's a big problem with kids no. seeing it that way. And some of the kids that struggle to understand these concepts will. And if they understand that, then it's a success. Right. But, um, I mean, I always try to teach them the truth. Could you approach it from a free enterprise point of view? Like it's a violation of free enterprise? I mean, that's kind of like today we today we did mercantilism in class, mm-hmm. and I made sure to talk about how this is the opposite of free enterprise, and right. free enterprise didn't exist yet, but it was starting to form because the king was leaving them alone, right? Right. So, yeah, I think you could. Um, I think the most important part of the Tea Act is just the fact that this is the first time that the colonists actually take a, not really the first time, but a, a group violent approach to rebellion against this act. Well, it's, it's almost uniform throughout the colonies. Um, you have the, in, in Charleston, they're just leaving the tea on the ship. Yeah, I mean, they straight up will refuse to even take it off the boat. Right. And, and it's it, a boycott. It is a boycott. And you have, you know, and I think it's Maryland um, or New Jersey where they take it off the ship, put it in storage, and don't let anybody get to it. Yeah. So again, it rots. Yeah. Well, in Boston, the tea had been sitting in the harbor for had been a while. A while, yeah. Hmm. I don't know how long, but I know that it had been a while. And and so this directly leads to the Boston Tea Party. Right. Um, and again, this is another one of those fun things that these kids have probably heard in fifth grade. Yeah, um, they've heard of it. They love the Boston Tea Party because, again, this is... It's the, the, it's the, American, well, it's the American heart and soul, man. It really is. Yeah. It, You're going to wrong us and we're going to tell you we're going to stand up against it. Well, and this is going to come across not the way I mean it, but okay. it's kind of like that petulant act of we're going to throw a fit and do something. And so they're used to that and they're used to having to control that. And so now you have these people who are supposed to look up to and are almost uh, deities Mm -hmm. behaving like a teenager wants Mm -hmm. to behave. Mm -hmm. And they like the idea of that. Um, You know, and they always ask like how much tea, how much tea is about $2 million worth of tea today. Um, It was, it was expensive. It was, it was something that was definitely going to catch the attention of parliament. For sure. And so questions to ask, you can always, you know, is this an appropriate form of protest? Is it an effective form of protest? Maybe that's even a better question. Or, and and we track as we go through this, the level of unrest. Right. And so the question now is they've protested, they've protested, they've protested. All of it for the most part has been peaceful, except the Sons of Liberty who are running around like crazy people. And then all of a sudden now it's like, you are not listening to our nonviolent protests. So now we're taking the next action. And- the state has us teach this as the first act of civil disobedience Which in American it's not. history. It's not. And that bugs me so much because this the I tell my kids that it is and I tell them but it's really not. Because on the star test they'll ask that. Right. But that's inaccurate because civil disobedience is disobeying the law in a nonviolent way. Right. This is violent because it is causing economic damage to Great Britain. And that is if there is destruction of property that's violence. Right. So this is technically, in my book, a riot. Um, and I teach the kids that, and I tell them, hey, on the test, you'll circle civil disobedience. Right. Okay? But in real life, it's not. Um, well, I think you can also approach it from if you've done if you if you've taught Locke already mm-hmm. and you've taught the the rights, the natural rights. This is a violation of the right to property. Yeah. 
Uh, and what is government supposed to do? What is the purpose of government? It's meant to protect um, personal property. So how do we wrap our heads around that? And are we okay with our hypocrisy on this kind yeah. of thing? Which sometimes but, we are. But I think it's an important discussion to have with kids. If, if what you If what's going on in society is so unjust and you've tried peaceful protest and it has been ignored, repeated, our repeated, what is the word in the Declaration of Independence? Our repeated protest or our repeated petition has been met with repeated injury. Mm -hmm. If that is going on, eventually it's going to lead people to take violent action and destructive action. And I think that that's something that we see even still to this day in our country. Not that there's not consequences for that, but how else are you supposed to be heard if you're not being listened to the first the first time? And I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it happens over and over again. It's a pattern. And so we need to be aware of that. Right. So maybe our question is, were the colonists being ignored? Because we have numerous events, T-Act, Stamp Act, Sugar Act, that have been repealed mm-hmm. numerous times. And there are colonists who are writing essays, publishing essays. Mm-hmm. The, the king was not ignorant to what was going on. He right. read probably a lot of documents that were being distributed at this time. So the fact that no taxation without representation was already being spoken and being discussed. Mm-hmm. And the king still is refusing to give them a representative in parliament. In my mind at this point, I'm getting a little heated now. i got to calm myself down. But in my mind, that is – that. That's his arrogance mm-hmm. that's keeping him from doing that. And so if he had just buckled and just said, whatever, give me, give them what they want, why does it matter if they have a representative? It might have been a very different situation. But you can't say that the, that the colonists are acting necessarily inappropriate because they feel that their government is tyrannical mm-hmm. and they feel that this is the only way for their voice to get heard. And what's interesting is, is that history proves it to be true. So I think the way we approach that with kids, though, is having them make those decisions, Oh, for right? sure. I'm just telling you my opinion right now, but, <laughs> but I don't put that on kids. I yeah. provide them with the documents, and I let I see where they go. Yeah. And if they come to a different conclusion, it's fine because the important thing is that they come to a conclusion. I'm just giving you my point of view right. just to, because I can't well, not give my point of view. Well, I think we give them, we give them a chance to justify their point of view. We, we don't always really care what point of view they take. It's can they support it with documents and acknowledge the other side as well. They acknowledge that some of the, comp- the, the conflicts with what they're saying and what yeah. they're believing. And there's not always a perfect uh, black and white uh, answer for issues. For sure. And if we can get eighth graders to do that, we're amazing. Because um, um, I don't know that I was ever successful 100% with that with kids. Well, and it's because a lot of it is because you have time restrictions, obviously. But Yeah, I guess you need to start having like Saturday school or something. No joke. No joke. Are you kidding me? No, I'll be on. I'm up here on Saturday. It's fine. Parliament reacts to the Boston Tea Party with the Intolerable Acts. And Which are actually originally called the coercive acts depending on which side of the 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 pond you're on i guess the way it looked Uh, so with the intolerable acts we go over the specifics the port of boston is closed until they pay for the tea this has suspension of uh, their representative assembly the institution of 
quartering act and things along that line. But what I like with those prediction set notes that we talked about earlier is that you can ask numerous questions. You can have, you can have the same scenario and ask numerous questions and see how it goes. You can ask, was Parliament justified in their actions? You can ask, was Parliament effective in their decision? You know, um, and letting kids kind of grapple with that, and maybe what what would you do if you're Parliament? How do you handle these colonies that have destroyed two million dollars worth of product um, and property that, by the the nature of government, you're supposed to be protecting? Right. And so, again, that's that twisting on the knots a little bit, and 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 making decisions. And making arguments. And we all know they love to make arguments. I think the super important part of the Intolerable Acts is that the kids understand that it's an effect mm-hmm. of the Boston Tea Party. Um, at, at the most basic level, cause and effect is a struggle for some kids. So we really need them to understand that without the Boston Tea Party, the Intolerable Acts would not have occurred. And they need to understand that what exactly what you said those legislative assemblies are shut down they're not even allowed to meet so technically the right to assemble has been restricted right. or infringed upon um all of these things are occurring the boston harbor which was one of the major harbors in new england a major source of revenue well how are they supposed to pay the tea back if they can't import and export any right. goods so it's almost like the british kind of set them up for failure in that in that fact i don't point that out to the kids no. some kids draw that conclusion themselves which is awesome. Yeah. So let me ask. So we've gone through a number of these events. What what are your kids doing for note taking? Um, because I've done in the past where it was your, your standard graphic, or, I mean, your uh, graphic organizer with one column for the event and then the date and then that kind of stuff. And we've kind of moved away from that. And I like the idea of a graphic organizer where it's three columned mm-hmm. and your middle column is the event. That's what I have. And then on your left and your right side are cause and effect. So, yeah, I don't always do cause and effect. What I do, it depends on how you want to do it. In the middle, I just have the event Mm -hmm. and the date. And then I have the kids do like an emoji for the level of unrest. Okay. And then on the left side, I have them write the key facts or the summary. And on the right side, I have them write the effect or the colonist's response or... um, the problem like I like to have them identify what right. was the root problem because then later on they're going to match that to the grievances of the Declaration of Independence right and so we've done graphic organizers where they're doing like you know steps toward democracy when mm-hmm. we're talking about the 13 colonies and maybe you do violations of, of government, of government. Or principles mm-hmm. of that nature I don't know um, I also like the idea uh, I think you call them window panes I call them window panes or before and after. Oh, yeah. Before and after scenes. Yeah, where in your middle, it's a bigger piece of paper for just one event. In the middle, they have, let's say it's the intolerable acts mm-hmm. in the middle. Or, you know, let's say it's the the Boston Tea Party in the middle. And they write a short summary on what the Boston Tea Party is and maybe draw a picture on that. On the left side is the, the, the cause. And it could be the Tea Act and what that is and some of the, the responses. And then on the right side of that is the effect, and that was where they would put the intolerable acts. Yes. And so they kind of get that visual of these events um, kind yeah. of in order. Yeah. yeah. And and for that one, you can do just pictures too. Right. Which with the Boston Tea Party, it's a little bit harder. But like before and after scenes are really good for like what was life like before this and what was life like after this. And so you can do the, the um, just draw a picture. Um 
The other thing that you can have them do is uh, I have my kids do flipped notes on this. So they do the lecture at home and then we come in and we use primary resources. We evaluate documents. We look at point of view. We have discussions. So they've done the legwork at home through the flipped classroom. So I just have them take two column notes in their ISN. And then when we come in, we add columns if we need to and we add information there. Right. And I like the idea, and I was listening uh, to a podcast the other day, and they're talking about note-taking and how it does increase information retention and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I had not spent a lot of time on as a teacher is giving them a chance to confer their notes with others and actually Mm -hmm. improve their notes. Mm -hmm. And the research apparently is is that adds another layer of not only discussion, but also that kind of classroom – culture if you will so when i do a flipped lesson i give my i basically video myself and i put it on canvas and not not me actually my screen right and then the kids what i do the next day because some teachers have a hard time letting go of that lecture right so what i do the next day i call it question led lecture Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's really a strategy i just made it up yeah so what i do is they go home they take notes then i come in and i put up a, a sign that says proclamation line of 1763 talk with your tables Look at your notes. In just a minute, I'm going to ask a random student. I'm going to randomly call on you. What what is it? And then another student, why is it important? And so they confer with their notes and they look and they discuss. And then I popcorn call out. It's not as awkward because I've told them that I'm going to call them out. Um, But I think that that's a good way to help them kind of confer with their notes and and see are my notes quality notes and how can I revise these? Well, and that's one thing when I had flipped my classroom, I I tried to use my um, accountability piece wasn't always for a grade. Mm -mm. It was more for feedback Mm -hmm. for me. And so having kids the night before give you some of those questions or use an assessment to actually go, you know what, they've got this part of the intolerable acts, but they don't understand this part of it. So then my, my, direct teach part the next day was specifically focused on the things that my kids were struggling with. A lot of times I'll embed a Padlet wall. Mm -hmm. You taught me this, but I'll embed a Padlet wall in my canvas page before they take their quiz or after whenever, and they have to give me questions that they still have or like areas that they're confused on still. And so then I can use that the next day in class to kind of guide them. So I think the other one overarching thing that I've done in the past, and I think it's an old TCI uh, History Alive activity, is the what's called the unrestometer. Mm. The name's really corny. Um, but the idea is that you have a graphic. Uh, it's kind of like a, a chart, if you will. Yeah. And on the bottom, it has the different events. A bar graph. A bar graph. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. A bar graph. Um, and they can only assign, I think they have 36 points that they can give through all the events or 72. I don't remember what it is. Oh, I never do it that way. Do you not do it that way? No, I just let them decide what they want. Originally, they had it limited. And so that way you actually, and each one had to get at least one point. And they had to use all 36 and they couldn't go, you know, under. Under. Mm -hmm. And the thing was is that then they were trying to determine which event caused the most turmoil Mm -hmm. within the colonies. And as a teacher, you kind of have to, if your kids are doing this, most of my academic classes, we did this together. Although I did get to doing some Socratic seminars with them on this, but also if, if you're a teacher and they say it's the Boston massacre, well, then you've got the ability to ask questions, go, well, the Boston massacre really 
you know, it happened this point, and, and Lexington and Concord don't take place till much later on. Right. So how can you say that's unrestful? And tie them in knots and get yeah. them to think. And then at the end, I would I would definitely have them write, if uh, pre-AP, but even academic, a thesis statement mm-hmm. supporting. They have to take a point of view. And So Allie Travis, the instructional coach at my campus, right. just told us yesterday in class, and she learned it from someone else, but a writing strategy that I think is great. It's called in-class pen pals. Okay. So when they're doing an activity, you give them a question and they have to respond to it. And then they pass their paper to the person in front of them Mm -hmm. or to a pen pal in the class. And the other person responds back to what they said. And then they pass it back. And they basically write notes back and forth discussing the topic. So kind of like a silent debate. Yeah. And I think that that would be a really good um, thing for the kids to do at this point. Mm-hmm. What was the leading cause of the American Revolution? What event caused the most turmoil? Right. And have them write down what they think and then pass and silently share. And then they have to respond. And from that, that can be their pre-writing. Right. right? And then from that, they can go into an actual essential question writing or a DBQ. That's really good. And if you're looking for a technology angle, and, and you know where I think you know where I'm going with this, but poll everywhere mm-hmm. is a way of gathering that data really quickly. You're the poll everywhere king. Well, not the king, but I'm a small duke or something on that. <laughs> but I think if that gives them that digital that digital perspective, sometimes you use and novelty can make a lesson more engaging. If they yeah. don't use poll everywhere, but once a semester, that alone will make them interested in using it for sure. Um, and it's pretty. It's a pretty simple tool to use. Um, so you had mentioned that you don't teach the Declaration of Independence. No, I do not. With this particular unit. I haven't in the past, but right. this year we're going to try and do it. Okay. We'll see how it goes. We're doing what's called a six hats activity with that. So we're going to have our kids actually read the, the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to kind of annotate it over to the side like part one, part right. two, and part three. Um, and then they each pick a point of view that they're taking the optimist, the, the pragmatic, the thinker, the creative person, and they're going to analyze it from their point of view. And then they share aloud with the whole class. Okay. I have that lesson. So if that's something that any of you are interested in, you can send me um, a shout out on Twitter and I'm happy to send it to you, but I'm really interested to see how that goes because I want my kids to take the events that led to the American revolution and apply them to the grievances. Okay. So I want them to say, okay, which, which event caused which grievance in the Declaration of Independence. Right. And then I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce the Bill of Rights, even though we haven't talked about it really yet. Most of the kids know that that's where we're going, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to give them a copy of the Bill of Rights. There's a great graphic organizer on Kids Discover, right? and it has the primary language. And so I'm going to give it to the kids, and then I'm going to say, okay, now what Bill of Right or Principle – because it's also the principles. Right. What Bill of Rights or principle later do the founding fathers put into the Constitution to ensure that this will not happen again in our history? And then we can take it even a step further. I'm getting a little crazy. Let me calm down. Is can they find an instance for this is for your GT kids. Right. Can they find an instance in American history where that grievance has occurred again? And how did people react? So, so my, my, so in my deficit thinking. Stop it. No, I know, right? But no, I think I like that idea because we're not necessarily teaching history anymore. We yeah. teach teaks. Right. Which is really hard for history nerds because we love to teach history. Yeah. And it's the best. Those are the good stories and those are the things that kids eat up. I love it when I hear teachers say, I'm teaching a story. No. 
well not anymore you're teaching uh, themes you're you gotta let it go like it is a story but nobody cares if the kids walk away with the story of american history we want to know how it applies to today how is it going to change them as citizens how are they going to use it and that's thematic and and, but i think that's a huge shift and i think because storytelling is so powerful i mean storytelling is how history has been told for thousands of years and the, the kids like the stories as they well. They do. And there's but nothing I, wrong with it. But I get what you're saying. But I think I really like that idea of – so when I, you initially told me this, I was like, there's no way. That that just – Come, how, come how watch. Would, come observe. And you'll no, see it happen. I, I'm, on your, I'm on your team on this one because originally I was thinking, well, how does that – how will the kids know that the first part of the war was being fought and nobody really knew what they were fighting for? Mm-hmm. And then they declare independence. Mm-hmm. And then – you know, the rest of the war takes place. And my IC hat goes, well, does it matter? And in the the grand scheme of things, in my opinion, it does not matter. What do you mean? I'm confused. That they know that the first part of the war was just being kind of this, nobody knows really what's going on. Right. They haven't declared independence. They're not really certain what they're, they're fighting They're just for. complaining. Right. Well, and they're fighting. Well, yeah. But I like that idea. I think it's more effective for teaching what we teach. By bringing the declaration into this unit. So I'm saying you're right. Okay. okay. I'm saying you're right. But the declaration applies because it's written. Absolutely. It's written, what, one year after Lexington and Concord? Pretty close. I think and so. I think it's important for kids to understand that maybe they didn't have it written down right. during the Rhodes Revolution, but they did have a common theme of what they had no taxation without mm-hmm. representation and they stuck to that theme. And then when it came down to it, they said, okay, Ultimately, this is the major issue, but these are all the things you did that violated our natural rights. You can tie it back to Locke. Well, and so everything that we've, we've approached a lot of these, these uh, podcasts with, how can you use this information year long? Yeah. And so I think you're right. I think if, if, you, if you bring the declaration into this unit, you can, con- you, you've, got, you've built that continuity. Yeah. And so I think... Um, well, to be honest with you, the fact of the matter is, I don't care if kids remember what the Stamp Act is. Other than getting good stars on the or good scores on the star test, right, and making my campus look good and making myself look good, I don't care. And I tell them that. Look, you don't need to remember what the Stamp Act is. It's they the will, they will, because I taught it well. But what I want you to understand is where do these right these ideas that protect you as a person and your rights, where do they come from, and how do you continue to protect them? It's the skill. It's you the can't sk- you can't take that for granted, like. You people today take democracy for granted. It is way more unstable than you will ever imagine. I know I'm getting on a tangent right now, <laughs> but it is. And and I think people take that for granted, you know, and, I think so. and I think that if we don't understand what it is, if we don't constantly fight for it and make and keep the government in check, that's our rights can easily be taken away from us. And that's yeah. the whole point that Jefferson starts out with. A little rebellion now and then is good because it keeps the government in check. It makes sure that they are protecting our rights. And if we as citizens don't actively do that in a respectful way, using civil disobedience or whatever it is, then then eventually we're going to have a tyrannical government again. Well, and we're talking about we're not. There's instances in every. We usually mark it by presidential administrations. It, they're all marked with some form of overstepping of boundaries, sure. whether it's Every the Patriot Act or whether it's maybe, uh, you know, more um, 
of the entitlements or things or of that nature. Or just the fact that like Roosevelt starts actually lobbying Congress. Like that's not his, yeah. it's never intended for that to be the role of the president. Or George W. Bush after 9-11, which is the day that we're recording this podcast, takes the um, step of being able to declare war from Congress. Well, the Patriot Act, right? And yeah. Things like that. And yeah. so, I mean, it, it constantly is, is evolving and changing. And what we need to teach kids from this unit is how do you keep the government in check in regards to protecting your rights. Right. And what they need to understand is what are violations and how do we protect those? And how has it been done in the past? What examples and what are the principles and beliefs that we that we value? Absolutely. So this is a really fun unit. It's a really one that gets kids passionate. Yeah, we talked way too long. Well, but... I'm going to split this up into multiple episodes. Th- that's good, though. And I think... Uh, if if you've listened to this and you have ideas, please share these. I yeah. mean... We uh, we're not approaching this as experts. It's just, Definitely no, not. It's, it's two teachers just talking about what we do, and um, glad to to take any input and feedback that people have because teaching's hard. Yeah, it is. And getting kids to to connect information that's not digital is even harder sometimes. And um, we just got to find a way to to make it happen because they're capable of it. Whether sure. it's your co-teach student or your you know, your GT kid that can barely yeah. tie their shoe without <laughs> falling down, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, give us give us a shout out on Twitter and let us know what you think and how, uh, how you teach this. Yeah, for sure. Thanks right. for listening. Thanks for listening. Hey there, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag pasttopresentpod or tweet us at, at pasttopresentpod. That's past the number two present pod. If you have a minute, please consider helping other educators find our show by sharing our podcast on Twitter or giving us a review on iTunes or Podbean. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.